So today we're here to celebrate BA Mike, uh, 35 years in recovery. I was fortunate enough to meet him when he came to Ireland, him and his wife. And um, just one of them guys, like I was saying the other day, just makes you come back. Be it secular, traditional, Zoom, what have you. Just a solid cat in a world full of pussies. I love you to dear. Yeah, it's dead, Mike. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, everybody, for uh, showing up here. This is a pop-up thing. You know, I, I uh, 35 years, how do you uh, put that into uh, words? Uh, I can't. I'm very honest with you. Uh, 12,782 days. That's, that's what 35 years equals, one day at a time. If I don't pick up a drink or a drug, uh, I get a shot at the rest of it. You know, I was hesitant. Uh, Mark has asked me a couple times uh, to have it recorded. I think it's very funny because a couple times I have been uh, in the place to be recorded and the recording devices did not work. Now, how does that happen? I'm not quite sure, but I was delighted when it didn't. So it looks like it is working today. Uh, one of the things I say about that and my, why my hesitancy um, you know, in our in AA's 12th tradition, it talks about uh, anonymity at the level of press, radio, TV, and films. So if you're hearing this in the future, um, you know, I ask that, you know, obviously it's not enforceable that you adhere to that. And uh, this is my story. You know, this is my life. I, I don't speak for AA. I speak for my life and recovery. Um you know, the other part of that 12th tradition is humility. Uh, that principles be before personalities is such a huge part of this journey of recovery in AA. And if it was not there, I believe we likely would not be here uh, for, for over the many years that these 12-step fellowships, AA being the first one, came about. Um, in my own life, I have journeyed through different places with that and i've seen others do the same thing every time when there's conflict involved it is personalities over principles and what are these principles to me how did i come about understanding them they are really spiritual principles i have found them in many other traditions around the world now i didn't when i first started on this journey but we are unique because we're alcoholic addicts and and uh, those prince, those spiritual principles, um, they fit us so that we're able to hear them in this way. And I've heard them in other ways too, because I've been because of being clean and sober, and because of the willingness to do the hard work. And it is hard work. There ain't no magic wand here. And there's someone here for the first time. And welcome, welcome, welcome. And welcome back to everybody who who is here today too, and we'll listen to this later on. Uh, when I came in, I came in March 14th, 1988. I came into AA through the back door, Al-Anon. When I say, uh, I'm, my name is Mike, I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic. Somebody will say, well, why do you uh, uh, put those two things in front of your name? You know, why do you, are you trying to pull a special attention to it? No, what I try to do is remind myself, <clears throat> you know, I, I grateful because those old timers taught me that gratitude was an action, but so did my grandmother and so did my, my uh, relatives that I walk a spiritual journey with. 
um, out on the Indian reservations here in the United States, you know, gratitude is an action. And <laughs> when I came in, my grandmother had taught me that, but she was long, you know, out of my life. And, and I had forgotten that for a long time. Uh, if I wasn't clean and sober, none of this would be possible. And my life would not have been possible at, at, at a certain point. And when I speak, I, I you're not going to hear a can. If you heard me before, you're not going to hear, you may hear some similarities. I don't know what comes out because at some point you're just going to, it's just going to take over. And when I say it, it being uh, that spirit, my own spirit, whatever it is, and it just flows through. If I can get out of my own way, in our uh, native traditions, we say we become the hollow bone. And it's an energy that flows through, call it collective consciousness. I don't know what it is. It has to be whatever it is for you. Um, and it has to be whatever it is for me. And those things have changed throughout my uh, 35 years or 12,782 days. And, you know, I say that because it really is about that. It really is about what am I doing today? Those days will add up no matter if I am in recovery or not. And what I mean if I'm in recovery is am I living the best life that I can be today? And that does not mean without absence. I mean, some days I'm going to really struggle, but the best thing, if I cannot pick up a drink or a drug through those struggles, I have, I, I have been successful for that day. I've been very blessed in many ways on this journey. And I have emotions today. I didn't come in here with many emotions into Alcoholics Anonymous or Al-Anon. You know, seven years to get to Al-Anon because I compared my drinking to those in my life who were drinking in a way different than me. And when I came in, the old timers, they would say, don't compare yourself out the door. And they weren't only talking about me. They were talking about all of us. And it is true. I would uh, focus on what you can identify with, not what you want, because our brains, my brain wanted to tell me I was an alcoholic. I didn't have a problem. I was just out there partying, having a good time. You know, when I came into Elena, you know, it started before I got there, but I was 11 years old when I started drinking and I was 26 when I stopped and I'm 61 years old now. And that in itself is miraculous, not in any kind of religious sense. It's just miraculous when I look back. Those days have added up and at times I didn't count them. There were anniversaries that passed that I just was quiet about, not because I had low self-esteem about it, because... I was just so grateful that I have a life. How did it get there? Man, it's so hard to compact into any time frame. <laughs> I won't be able to do adequately. I'll do the best I can. But I grew up in a home that was affected by alcohol. And that did not make me an alcoholic. It certainly contributed to, as I understand now, uh, a uh a disempowering of my own spirit, my own brain. And there was violence in, mixed in there. There was compulsive gambling mixed in there. And for me, when I look back, there was a lot of fear mixed in there. Just frayed and, and, not, and feeling different, not feeling comfortable even as a young kid in my own skin inside that uh, household. And when people say their parents did the best they could. Both of my parents are dead. My dad died 
uh, at 59 years old by one month. He spent the last three months of his life in a hospital. And he didn't die directly of alcoholism. It was leukemia that took him out, but his organs by then were pretty much damaged. Uh, the myelin around his nerve endings were, were shot. He was a very smart man. He was a systems analyst. And I grew up thinking I was a dumb motherfucker. And excuse me if my language offends you. I don't, it doesn't come out often, but it does. But that's what I grew up listening to. You dumb motherfucker. And I believed it. Even though testing in school didn't show that. Um, <laughs> when I went and started to look back at my growing up years, of which I don't have a lot of memories, of which I've done a lot of counseling around, of which I may never have those memories. And that's okay. Some things maybe just are better left not remembered. But there's an energy that I now understand that I didn't then. I didn't years into, into the program that's associated with those feelings that are gone or buried. Uh, those experiences early on in the life in that, in that household that I grew up in. I'll give you one example. Uh, uh, shortly after we had moved into, into a house in Cleveland, and this is not something I remember. This is something that was told to me. Our front living room ended up on the front lawn in a, in a, um, uh, battle, a battle between my mother and father. So I would imagine I was a pretty anxious kid and, you know, I, I learned to be able to uh, go into a room and test the temperature of that room. And I don't mean physically, I mean, in a intuitive way. And it was out of survival and my own protection. And I wish I knew that then I wish I knew that when I came into AA, I wish I would have known that while I was out there thinking I was just partying and drinking. And I wish I would have known that when I went to a traditional talk therapist, and I, I talked to a traditional talk therapist before I ever got sober. I had started an Al-Anon. And I can tell you, for me, that didn't work. Because talking about it, that doesn't work for me because I'm an experiential kind of person. I learn experientially, and I've also been able to let go and, um, and heal experientially. But I had to get sober. Because while I was going to Al-Anon, I'd hear, oh, you're so young, you're, you're going you're, you're gonna to have such a great life. But inside, I felt like a, uh, an imposter. And I was speaking at Al-Anon meetings. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I meant what I said. I thought it was how I should be. But inside, I didn't feel that way. And, you know, during those times, I, I went from like uh, back to I'll go back to my family just for a minute or two. Uh, you know, growing up, you know, with the alcohol, it seemed very normal in our family. Uh, all celebrations, everything were around alcohol. Um, it just was not abnormal when I started drinking at 11 years old. Didn't seem abnormal at all. It seemed like a rite of passage. <laughs> when I look back now, that's a pretty abnormal rite of passage. And I started smoking pot at 12 years old. So that was mixed in there too. And the year before that, my sister was killed. At, um, at She was 12 and I was 10 and she was my protector. She was my protector within that family and outside of that family. Her name was Linda. And what I heard is 
from my mother who had to have been devastated. My younger sister and I, you're not affected. You go back to school. This was after the funeral. Well, I just took that and stuffed that feeling right away as a 10 year old boy. And isn't it interesting that at 11, I started drinking and at 12, I started smoking pot. By the time I was in ninth grade, I was drinking brown liquor. I had troubles. I didn't have trouble in school up until that point in my elementary years. You know, those, I, those memories I have, isn't that interesting? I don't have memories of my house, but I have memories at school. I was lucky to have had some good teachers. And, um, you know, they, they helped me, I guess, survive what I was living at home, which was really a, um, on the outside, it looked like everything was wonderful because all of my brothers and well, my, my sisters and I, not my brother, but we were all in these classes called enrichment and major work. We were doing grade level work way ab above that grade level. And that made me odd too. It made me odd to the kids in the neighborhood. Um, the kids in the neighborhood, many of them went to the Catholic school. I went to the public school. I had to go to catechism afterwards. You know, all of those things shape, began to shape who I was, feeling oddball, outside looking in, not comfortable in my own skin, not feeling safe, getting woken up at 3 o'clock in the morning. You know, my dad would come home and a battle would break out. You know, I don't think my parents thought about, hey, what are we doing to our kids? You know, because they were in the own that own cycle of this disease that we understand, each coming from their own perspective. But when I began to drink from the, almost from the very first time, and believe me, I probably started before that when my dad would say, hey, go get me a beer. I'm sure I, in fact, I know I was taking little sips of it on the way back, bringing it to him. But I can tell you when I had my first real drink, at 11 years old, it did, I, it, as I've heard other people, a real warm feeling came over me, and I felt normal. And I didn't feel normal for a long time until I got into Alcoholics Anonymous, and even really a couple years into Alcoholics Anonymous. I heard a often because... You know, I heard my mother say one time, he's the sensitive one. <laughs> Imagine that. When I was in treatment in 1990, after a serious suicide attempt, 22 months clean and sober, uh, one of my counselors said to me, she said, Michael, you have the heart of a poet. Michael never felt that way. I didn't feel that way growing up. As a matter of fact, I led you to believe the opposite. I, When I drank, that anger that I was welled up on, came out. Uh, you might get the happy drunk, or you might get the really, and again, starting at 9, 10, 11 grade, uh, grade that was pretty much, even, even in junior high, that was already there. And so I would do things drunk that I would not do sober. I would do things high that I would not do sober. To me, there's really no difference between alcohol and drugs. I know there's all kinds of debate through Alcoholics Anonymous, but I just go right back to the big book that was written in 1939. It says, don't begrudge the good doctor and good, good psychiatrist. That takes away that aspect of arguments. And the other thing, they were using sedative and barbiturates and all other kinds of things. In the third edition and prior editions, alcoholic doctor Attica was taken out and it was changed. Acceptances is our, uh, I, I don't know, I don't remember the name of it. 
But so all those things you have to fight against too, but just keep coming back and don't picking up a drink or a drug. You know, I heard don't give up before the miracle happens. Uh, I heard all those things, none of that stuff. I, you know, I struggled, I struggled, I struggled. I was struggling through life. I played football, I wrestled, I was class president on the outside, all these things, but on the inside, I was a scared little boy. You know, that's really what it came down to. Did I know it? Nope. I certainly wasn't going to let you know that. And I figured if I knocked you out first or hurt you first, uh, you know, it would be better for me. And that happened oftentimes. And how do I make amends to those people that I don't know when I was drunk and I did that? I live my life so differently today. So, so differently. In my family, I had a brother. Well, I still do. My older brother, six years older than me. And he would have had one more year of sobriety than I did, but he went back out after, well, it, he left AA after 15 years because all the things that were taken away from his life, he got back and somehow he measured his life and success against those things, boats and cars and houses. And I was very lucky not to be that kind of uh, materialistic in that way. I think I measured mine more in relationships, and I think of that was a lot to do with my own grandmother. Because it wasn't really till years, years later that I came to understand that my grandmother was teaching me these same spiritual principles, you know, that I live by. This is a way of life for me now. Somebody might say, how can AA or 12 steps or 12 spiritual principles be a way of life? It's pretty simple for me. It's, uh, you know, uh, love. It's service without obligation, with responsibility, accountability, humility, and gratitude. I wish that I had other family members. I wish they could have had some of the same experiences that I've had for the last 35 years. You know, my brother at 68 years old, he struggles. I have three nephews who I love dearly. And recently I was able to have a trip with them or one of them out to uh, Yankton Indian reservation in South Dakota. And he's 32 years old now. And I can't tell you that when I, the, when we drove from Omaha, Nebraska over to South Dakota and the conversations that we had, it gave me such a sense of gratification and satisfaction that my nephews have been listening. And that wasn't the first time that they shared that with me. So the, the, my footprints that I have made, I owe to those that I walk in their footprints. In AA, outside of AA, the counselors, the teachers, the uh, people that I have been able to interact with because I got clean and sober. I, you know, I ran cars into telephone poles. I went to the hospital. I went to jail. I did all those things. We share some of those. And some of, some of you may not have had those experiences yet. But that's where this disease, this, this allergy to alcohol and allergy to drugs will take us. If something hasn't happened yet, if we continue going down that path, it will happen to us. My biggest fear was not to die. My biggest fear was to live, have to live with somebody taking care of me the rest of my life because I've gotten myself into a position through either alcohol, drugs, or even a failed suicide attempt. 
Because like I said, 22 months into this, after having got to AA and working, uh, I was doing all the things that AA told me to do. I attempted to take my life because I had started working 16 hours a day. So I replaced one addiction with another to try to fill that hole up. People say, what is that hole? That hole is an absence of a spirit or a flickering spirit at best. And I think that had been with me for a long time and I wasn't aware of it. Even through Al-Anon, you know, there were moments of joy, but there were also a lot of dark moments too. I, I thought of suicide before, but I remember one time I spoke at an Al-Anon meeting and I said that it had been on my mind for a long time and I've put it to rest because I'll just put it off to the side as always an option. And I wasn't even hearing what I was saying to myself. When I was seeing that traditional counselor, that's the other important thing is if he never asked me about my drinking and I never told him about my drinking, isn't that interesting? And now, again, that was, you know, back in the 80s, you know, mid 80s. I can tell you this, that in um, 1985, at the 50th anniversary of AA, and it was the first Al-Anon International Convention it was in Montreal, Canada. At 4.30 in the morning, the lady that was in my life and another guy who has since passed on, we were at an AA meeting. I was not yet an AA. I was there for Al-Anon. And they, uh, there were, the meeting was on, the promises. There was about 2,000 people in the room that night because people come from all over the world. If you ever have an opportunity to go to an international convention, do because it's a lot of fun it's just it's beyond beyond spiritual but they passed out these little cards and on it were the 12 were the nine uh, the the nine step promises and they spoke about those and in inside to myself i said for everybody else but not for me and i meant it that's how i lived i did not believe that to be possible i didn't believe a life to be possible in that way i thought at best i would survive life and that's all i was really doing even though it may have looked on the outside like I was having a great time. And usually those times came when I was drinking and drugging. And if that, and that just got to a point where when I got to Al-Anon, it certainly changed my drinking. It never stopped my drinking. I just became a binge drinker at that point. And I had every intention. Often I'm going to go only out and go out to have two drinks. And those two drinks never ended up with two Oftentimes it ended up next morning and back in the punch palace, even if I started out in a nice restaurant, because by then I had my first real job and that lady that I spoke about in my life, we'd go out with another couple friends and there I was. And in Cleveland though, they, they said, what's a punch palace? Well, just imagine uh, a place that you can go into and you almost know walking in there that you're going to get in some kind of scuffle because there's a lot of other people just like you in it. And that was not intentional either, but on some level, obviously, it was a way to punish myself, beat myself up. So there's a lot of, of, of what it was, and I could probably say a lot more things. I feel a bit scattered on this 35th anniversary in the sense of all those days. I want to be able to help whoever's new here relate or identify. I can just tell you it was a living hell. There were, it was a living hell with moments of sunlight. And there were joys mixed in there. I had friends. 
you know, but often it, it ended up back in that dark place. So when I got to AA and they talk about this relief that's coming after you do the fourth and fifth step, because I had done this 12 steps in Al-Anon, but I didn't do the 12 steps focused on my own drinking and drugging. And so when I got to that place, uh, I wasn't feeling that. And like I already had said, uh, I attempted suicide. And even people in my life that I didn't love, I told I, I wrote a note and told them that I loved them. And uh, it was either I was going to get up and go to work in the morning or it was time to leave. And I'd made a decision to leave. And I went after myself very viciously. And Western medicine saved my physical body. And yet where I was left with this, I can't even kill myself in the right way. What a fuck up. And, you know, I had, I couldn't go back to AA. I felt too much shame. I wasn't going to Al-Anon. I ended up in a psychiatric hospital up in Cleveland, Cleveland Clinic, but I started out in the intensive care unit down in Canton, uh, Timken Mercy Hospital. And yet it's right next to Akron, Ohio, and they didn't know what the 12 steps were. I'm thinking, boy, I'm fucked. So my brother, who was in recovery at that time, had I was able to get transferred up to Cleveland Clinic, who had just started a drug and alcohol treatment program. I didn't drink. I didn't drug. I just wanted to leave. And so now who now I'm left with here I am. I'm on this planet. And, you know, there was a lot of things that happened to me during that suicide attempt and afterwards as they were putting me back together that I could have had a lot of consequences and, and uh, conditions that could have taken uh, a long time to recover from in my life or maybe never. And none of those things happened. Uh, a snow, I was supposed to be life lighted at one point, a snowstorm blew in, they transferred me by ambulance. Uh, it was in the middle of a rush hour and the ambulance broke down and I'm thinking, Oh my God, I'm going to end up with brain damage. Now, my wife might argue that I do have brain damage, but <laughs> others might even argue that, but not the kind of brain damage that they were talking about. And, um, you know, my journey continued. And when I was wheeled into uh, the Cleveland Clinic, because they wouldn't let my brother drive me, I had to go by ambulance back up there. I got wheeled in there. And this woman that I knew from the program, I was also going to Overeaters Anonymous at that time. And I knew her slightly from the program. She was a psychiatric nurse up there. And she came and talked to me for about, about a half hour. And she said to me, Michael, I don't think this place is going to help you. They're going to go after a 1950s medical model. And they're going to want to fill you full of drugs. And she said, have you ever heard of codependency counseling? Oh, that's going to be controversial in itself, bringing it up in an AA meeting. But you know what? That's part of this whole thing. You know. I'm going to talk about whatever I need to, to help another human being. And I'm not representing Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous is my foundation, those 12 steps, but I branched off into many other things, including counseling. And there are many in Alcoholics Anonymous that wouldn't be controversial too. And for those that are, you know, keep an open mind and keep looking because it don't matter how much time we have. Well, how am I living my life means more to me and how you're living your life and actions mean more to me than putting a lot of words on either a paper or saying them. You know, how am I living that love and service with accountability and responsibility? So when I was wheeled in there and she talked to me, it just so happened she was going on vacation that day. And she introduced me to another woman there who was uh, was studying biofeedback. And there was a few um, 
early pioneers in the field of codependency and, and dysfunctional families uh, that she was reading. And she asked me, had I heard? And, and one of the things she said, Michael, there's a guy in Cleveland who has a very similar story to, he's a friend of mine that I worked at with at another place. He's a counselor. When you get out of here, here's his number, look him up. And he too was a recovering member of Alcoholics Anonymous that had, that had attempted suicide. So you know, here I am shaking apart for the next four months. And it takes me into April. I end up in a place called the Meadows out in Arizona, which is still there. And they say, uh, you know, don't promote a place. I'm not promoting. I'm just telling you my story. That place is still there. And even though they knew they weren't going to get paid by my insurance company in a full way, and my counselor had known who they were, I was even extended an extra week. I spent seven weeks out there. And there, unlike the, the uh, fifth, uh, fourth and fifth step, I had to start taking a look at these things underneath rocks and in the corner, and I was treated for post-traumatic stress disorder. I was also told at that time that I was depressed. And I said, well, if I was depressed, I've been depressed my whole life. And they said, Michael, I asked, we believe that you have been in a, uh, had, had low-grade depression your whole life. And I was, when I got out there, I saw the 12 steps hanging on the wall. And because of the shame that I was carrying, thinking I must be one of those people in the big book who are constitution capable of being honest themselves, I am fucked. I literally thought that when I saw the 12 steps hanging on the wall out there. And I, I went out there thinking that all the king's horses and all the king's men, I felt a lot like Humpty Dumpty. I fell off the wall and I was never going to be put back together again. But when I got there, and I got there late because my mother was in the hospital at that time. That's where my codependency kicked in with colon. She had colon, colon cancer. Uh, she had her uh, parts of her removed and, and her intestines had twisted and I was supposed to leave. And I said, I can't go. And they said, Michael, if you don't go, you're going to be dead. You're going to die. Your mother, the hospitals, people are going to take care of her. You got to get your ass out. I already canceled my plane. And they got me another plane ticket. And I got out there in the middle of the night. And a guy came and picked me up in the Phoenix airport. And that was the first time I had seen the stars upon the stars when I got out into the desert. It was in Wickenburg, Arizona, and still is, but there wasn't a big town at that time. And I lived in Cleveland most of my life. I hadn't seen the stars upon the stars. And I wish I could tell you that seeing that took all the grief and pain and sorrow and all the shit that was buried inside of me. And, want, and I just wanted to live at that point. And that would be a lie because it wasn't. It was beautiful. But I really did. When I saw those 12 steps, I thought I was doomed. And they said, Michael, we're going to help you put you back together again. This is just a beginning. And I had to do a lot of things out there that were not, you're not going to get covered here in Alcoholics Anonymous. So yes, mental illness, we suffer from grave emotional and mental disorder. We too have a capacity to recover, if we can be honest. We have a capacity to recover from the disease of alcoholism. But if there's other things that are preventing that from not picking up that drink or that drug, and now there's neuroscience that is studying and it's behind it that's actually telling talking about what trauma does to the brain and how it sets it up for later addiction, as well as other addictions, not just alcohol and drugs. Those are the things I think Bill W. in his wisdom continued to try to learn till the day he took his last breath in, in 1971. You know, he went from, it's in the beginning of it being a very religious program, 
to, as he grew, believe what you need to believe. But he also believed in a lot of other things too, and he searched out because of his own suffering that he was still going through. They're not deities. They weren't gods. He understood that. You know, we're just human beings coming together with the condition when we help each other. This is why this works, because it's one alcoholic helping another and relating. And as I moved through all those things that were going on in my life at that time, going through those seven weeks, now it's, I, I went in on April 15th, which is in the States is tax day, and it was also Easter that year. And I came out on May 31st, which is Memorial Day. And those things to me have now later, when I look back, they are synchronistic in its way. Just as when I was wheeled into that hospital at Cleveland Clinic on the psychiatric floor, Katie was going on, on a, a vacation that day. And the day that I left there, she came back from vacation. There is some kind of component to here that's beyond my understanding. I am not my higher power. I can't tell you what my higher power is. It's different for every person. But yes, it took a psychic and spiritual change within me to actually have my spirit begin to flicker and then to grow and then to uh, flourish. And that same year, in July of that year, I, I came back and I stayed in counseling and the same experiential type of counseling, debriefing counseling, if you will, gestalt, if you will, those forms that are very much ex experiential and active in getting the energy that's attached to the trauma, the abuse that was going on out and let it go into the universe. And I understand that in a different way as far as energy today. And for some, it might just sound like, oh, that's just ridiculous. It may be ridiculous to you, but I'm just telling you my story. And I know who I am now. I know who I was then, I know who I am now, and I know how I've gotten here, and that I will continue to get there, because this is a never-ending journey. It's not a destination. I heard that in the program many years. I was very lucky to have people in my life that were put there, and it was one after another, especially in that first year after I attempted suicide. Now, I'm not suggesting that anybody let go absolutely or surrender in that way by attempting to take their life. And yet I've had many people that I've been able to talk with because of that experience that maybe other people, and I've also had people who've committed suicide, so I understand it from that side too. So I think each of us have our own piece of the puzzle in this journey that we're on in life. And to me, really, I, I really do believe this way. I That guy who was on the garage floor that day he died, but he is not gone. They said, we don't regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. And that all through that year, that flicker was flickering more and more. I ended up at the International Convention of Alcoholics Anonymous in Seattle that year in 1990. And I met a woman named Nell Wing, who was Bill W.'s personal secretary. And that was not because I'm some celebrity or because I'm special it was because I was I had a car. I was driving around a couple people. This young lady, well, we were young then, and we stayed at the University of Washington at the dormitories. And in between meetings and celebrations of AA, we were going this up into the mountains, Mount Rainier, 
and Mount St. Helens and all those places and then dragged them along. And so then he said on the big night, hey, come and have dinner with me and my grandmother after the big meeting tonight. And after the meeting was over that, that day, uh, this woman, Nell Wing, Bill W's second personal secretary, received the 10 millionth copy of the big book. And she looked like a little aunt from where I was in the Superdome, the Seattle Superdome. And later that night, as I sat down in a room next to a woman and she said, I said, hi, my name is Mike. And as I always do. And she said, my name's Nell. And I said, geez, your name wouldn't, you wouldn't be Nell, the woman who, and she said, as a matter of fact, I am, that was his grandmother. He never told me that. Those are serendipitous things that I could not have created in any way, shape, or form. To me, that's all part of this spiritual experience. Or in the big book, they talk about being rocketed into the fourth dimension. That's controversial for some people, too, because they have a religious connotation of what this program is supposed to be. I believe this to be a very spiritual existence. This whole these spiritual principles, this whole program is spiritual. They're not a spiritual part of this. And that was, that was just another thing that was helping to start to spark that a little more. So I was able to ask her questions that I had heard about Bill W., and they were all true. And I'm not going to go through them now. There, there's a lot of things out there. There's a lot of misnomers out there. But, yeah, he suffered from severe depression, and he was being treated in Saskatchewan, Canada at the time because that's what they were using by LSD, and that she verified that. Believe it or not, they were also doing seances because in that time there was a spiritual movement. Bill and Bob and Henrietta Cyberly. Oh, my God, say that to some and you might get, uh, I don't know, excommunicated from AA. I don't know. But not from the people that I grew up with in AA because those were the guys that knew Bill and Bob. And they were not those kind of people on the east side of Cleveland. That's where I grew up in AA. I was lucky to sit at meetings with some of them. Had 50 years of sobriety when I came in, so I heard those stories. They were men of compassion and women of compassion, but I hung with the men. So I was very lucky. So I had that experience. And I was still in counseling and I was doing that. And I, w- I started in a different occupation by then because what I was doing at that time, I was being somebody who I wasn't. I was working in information services at an insurance company. And I guess I was trying to be my father. I don't know. But I would wear a white shirt and a tie. My hair was cut short. That was just not me, but it it had become my identity. And now all of a sudden that was gone. Who am I? So now I'm also trying to figure out who am I? How am I going to support myself in this world for the rest of my life? Because by then, by July of that year, I wanted to stay here. Really, after when I went through the meadows, I wanted to stay here. But never, 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 and I mean this, I mean this, never in my wildest dreams Could I have imagined the life that I have led for these last 35 years? And there's a next piece to this. And that is of September of that year. When they say you have to have a psychic and spiritual change. I had studied comparative religions. I had participated in many. I had all different kinds of experiences. And none of them fit for me. Including when I went to catechism from when I, after the public school, when I would ask questions, got smacked in the back of the head. I don't blame them. They did whatever they thought they were doing, but I have always been a seeker of the truth. You know, and I've heard, you know, through my years, people say, you're a radical. And you know what? Look up the word, what radical means, to the root. And man, I want to get to the root. And I had a, a relative of mine say, Michael, we come from very deep roots 
our our roots go deep into the earth. Yeah, yeah, they do. And you know what? Mine were very shallow because I didn't know what they were. And in September of that year, I participated in a ceremony of Lakota tradition, which you'll you may know as the Sioux. And we don't proselytize. We don't ask people to come and do it our way. I'm not telling you to do it this way. I'm telling you it worked for me. And I had I I used to have to ask a million questions before I had to do something. It was my counselor that had invited me. And how did that come about? Is because a group of counselors had gone down to Texas and they called these things the Wild Man Weekend. And it wasn't what you think it is, because what it was, it was it was based on the work of Robert Bly about helping men become men and not little boys. And while they were there, they participated in the same ceremony, a purification ceremony that had been done by the Lakota people, Dakota and Nakota, for over 10,000 years. And when my counselor said, Michael, this might help you, I trusted the man enough that I went there without any questions. And I can tell you from the very first time that I participated in, I, I did have a spiritual awakening. And I wouldn't even talk about it at that time, not even with him. And I'm not even going to speak about it in detail now because it's not important. The important thing is, whatever works for you, there is something out there. And if you're an atheist, there's still something. It's the power of this group of all of us here today together. All of us, this worldwide fellowship that has been created for a long time, but that we really got to really see grow during this period of Zoom when, when COVID hit. They told us and me and, and Alanon and AA for a long time, if you're given lemons, make lemonade. And I want to say that we created this lemonade here called Zoom. And this particular group here, Tujnua, New Beginnings in Gaelic, this also has provided a platform for so many different people to recover from the afflictions that they suffer with. And to me, I think Bill W. would be proud as Dr. Bob in 1950 in the Cleveland First International Convention looked out upon a crowd of 2,000 people and wondered what little part that he played in seeing that happen. What would those ancestors, because I call them ancestors, think today and what we are doing now, I think they would be proud. And for those who get stuck in the dogma of it, I'm not here. I'm not here to criticize them, nor all I'm going to tell you is my story, my experience, strength, and hope. I know that at a time those kind of things were in my head. I know at a time that I thought there was a certain way. When I was in those meetings early on, I couldn't talk about what was really going on inside me, what those things that I needed to go talk about with a counselor. And they do say that seek outside help. But even oftentimes, then, we also, and, and, and since, and other people have also had these experiences, they heard, don't talk about that. I heard, don't, you don't have a right to feelings anymore. That's as crazy as anything, because that means that you have now become my higher power. I don't want to ever be anyone's higher power. I don't want to be my own higher power. I want to be a person that lives this way of love and service with accountability, responsibility, helping another. And in order for me to do that, I have to not pick up a drink one day at a time or a drug, no matter what. And I've been able to weave these years together and these days together. And my journey continues and I feel so blessed and not in any religious way because I was a guy that didn't want to stay on this planet. I couldn't see anything. 
They talk about the sunlight, step into the sunlight of the spirit. I want to tell you that I have stepped into the sunlight of the spirit. I've been rocketed into the fourth dimension. And it's a pretty fucking cool place. And I want to tell you that it was possible for me. It's possible for anybody. But if I don't maintain a base, a foundation of something to branch off of, I would just be floundering. I would not still be here. In my own family, I've seen this disease go two generations forward. I have a niece at 39 years old that has alcohol dementia because she had a, a, a medical procedure. And because this is being recorded, I'm not going to go deep into it. But that was my worst fear that I would have to be taken care of for the rest of my life. I have been able to experience things on this planet that I would used to make fun of because I had no understanding. There are things that I have lived and seen and participated in that I had no understanding. And I didn't have understanding for a long time. I'm excited for what is yet to come. And I really truly do live my life because in a lot of ways I feel like I threw it away. Because one of the things that I wrote in that Suicide note, I wrote, I'm going to see if there's a God or not today. Well, you know, I want to tell you that I came to understand that group of drunks, good orderly direction, great outdoors, all the acronyms that we use. This group has power because we come together one day at a time, not picking up a drink or a drug. This fellowship does that. And for those who struggle and they go back out, they make it back in. Yeah, we're the lucky ones. We are the lucky ones. We're the lucky ones who get here. And those old timers said that. And yeah, like my niece, I don't know, maybe she has, maybe her life is going to be given up because there is no coming back from what she has, sadly. But I'll tell you in my family, it's upset the mobile, the mobile of not just codependency and this fucking disease that we share for generations. And yet, and the things recently, you know, that I've experienced. And it just takes me to another level, to another level, to another level. I don't know, fifth, sixth, seventh uh, uh, dimension. I don't know. It's not important to put a label on it. I know Bill W. was seeking that. I know others have seeking, have sought that. I know others have experienced that. Yesterday, I had the privilege of hanging out with two American Irishmen who have a long time of sobriety, more than me. I like to go around people who have more sobriety than me because I feel like a newcomer rather than old timer or long timer i can't really like i said put it into words 35 years but it's real i can tell you that you got to do the work it's not going to magically happen there's no feather there's no magic wand if there is good for you i've never discovered it you know, just keep coming back one day at a time, not picking up a drink or a drug. Keep working. No matter what, don't pick up that drink or the drug. Call somebody. If you're thinking about killing yourself, call somebody. Get a hold of somebody. Talk to them. There's all kinds of resources out there now. It's way more open than it ever was. There's more things available so that we don't have to suffer from all these afflictions. And the next frontier that they're really looking at finally, and I'm very grateful for it, is the brain science behind it, the biochemistry behind it. 
because we really have as a world we've we've been set up yeah i'll say it that way we have been set up i've been able to work with people in my during my journey that have done magnificent things on this planet before they left you know in their in their footsteps i follow and how do i pay back gratitude to them hopefully i'm leaving some footprints behind and i guess that's part of why i even spoke today because this is not about ego or making someone more special than another because really if we're really walking this and living this in a way we really understand that we're just all a part of the big we're all a part of this piece of the puzzle my relatives that i have and even from a guy from cleveland ohio that used to beat people up drunk that came from uh, a neighborhood of gangsters and gangster cops and gangster cops and that in itself is miraculous not in any religious way but very a very spiritual way you know the things i've been so blessed to be able to go to other places around the world not because i'm a rich man that i can just jump on a plane because those ways have been made possible for me and i don't mean by even other people it's like i was supposed to be wherever i was and i practice my uh I follow in my traditions the way that people suffered and died to keep them away long ago in this, which we call Turtle Island. I won't go into that, which is known as the United States of Canada today. But those people I walk in their shoes too. I try to live by a man named Tatanka Iotake, or you'll know as Sitting Bull, who said, let's put our minds together and see what life we can uh, leave for our children or make for our children. You know, that's one thing that I can say has been consistent through my life. I've been an advocate in many ways. I've done a lot of things beyond that I spoke about here today. And I regret none of them. I stand up for the vulnerable. I've always looked out for the elderly, even when I was a as out of control drunk as I was. You know, early on, I was an Alateen uh, co-sponsor because I didn't want those kids to have to go through what I was that I did. You know, none of this would be possible if I wasn't clean and sober. None of this would be possible if I would have died that day. None of this would be possible if I didn't meet the people along the road that I did, if I didn't go through treatment, if I don't continue to keep an open mind and I don't stay honest and I don't bullshit myself to think that the guy's looking back, that the guy looking back from the mirror is great or that he's stupid because both of those don't serve me. It's just I'm a human being on this spiritual journey. Or maybe I'm a spiritual uh, being on, a, on this human journey. I've heard it said both ways. So I'm very grateful to be able to be above ground. I, often people say to me, I have a friend, and I'm going to end with this really. Uh, his name is Henry. And he's in his mid-70s. He's on a, his lungs are, are damaged to the point where he needs transplant. And he would very much be here today. When I go to meetings, I remember he says, Michael, when you go there, tell the people that this is the greatest show on earth and don't give up with it for nothing. And he himself, he went through a whole lot in his life and he's lived 19 years clean and sober. And he's a very spiritual man. 
and it probably his time is not long. And I've met other people along that way too. You know, so yeah, I understand now when the old timer said, I hated hearing it when I came in at 26 years old and even a few years into it, we are the lucky ones. We have a way out, a way out. And for me, after working through these steps, the first nine and then 10, 11 and 12 and going back 10, 11 and 12, 10, 11 and 12, but never forgetting where I came from. I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict. And what is that 10 step all about? It's about accountability and making amends and clearing up your mess because we're human beings. And they say we grow along spiritual lines, spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. I will never be perfect. And that's a good thing. And that's okay. I had to learn that. I had to learn that in counseling. And sought through prayer and meditation. That can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. Today, it was washing dishes before this started. I meditate while I do that. It was listening to some music, the vibration. You know, it sends me to a different place. It was connecting. For me, using some sage and cedar. And then helping another, yes, another alcoholic, but anyone else who may need that help. I can do that today. Some people's reaches are further than others. Mother Trace had said that. Help those within your reach. You know, sometimes the simplest thing of holding a door open for somebody and making a difference in their day. And it's not about what I'm going to get back from it. It's not about how will somebody see me. It's connecting. It really is about love. You know, language of the heart, that's what Bill W. called it. So did my friend Marshall Rosenberg. Yeah, so did most of the people in my life, many of you right here. I'm so blessed, so, so blessed. Grateful. I love it in Gaelic, new beginnings. I've had so many new beginnings over and over again through this journey, and I look for even more new beginnings. And I've said it many times now, and then I'm going to shut up, but the foundation is that I can't pick up a drink or a drug one day at a time, no matter what. And if I feel like doing that, then I got to really reach out so I don't do that before I do that. Because my niece doesn't have that chance anymore now. And I know many other people who have been in this program, and they walked away, or they stopped coming around, they stopped being in the middle of this thing, and they picked up again. And many of them died, some by suicide, some by horrible deaths because of alcohol, some in blackouts went to prison, all kinds of things I could tell you. And I'm sure other people can too who've been around for a while. So keep coming back a day at a time and don't give up before the miracle happens. Whatever miracle means to you, because I know what it means to me today, and that's having a life never I could have imagined for myself. And I'm telling you, if that's possible for you, that guy in 1985 who said for everybody else in that room, but for him, those promises do come true. And it says, if you work for them. And so good luck on your journeys. And I'm going to continue on mine. And may we do continue to do this together. And again, thank you so much. And thank you for all those people in my path and those yet I've not yet, yet met. And yeah, there you go, Mark. It started at four o'clock, four directions. That's important to me. And it's ending at 4.59, bro. 
And my in my Lakota language that I've learned, we say Tokshaki until we see each other again. And I'm gonna be on your aisle one of these days again too, so we'll get to see each other in person. Thank you. <laughs>